0: saves those who are crushed in spirit. Calling out to God at that moment, he said, please, help me. And that was be- the beginning of Katrina's journey to faith in Christ. The Gideons International is an association of Christian businessmen and professionals and, and their wives who give her their time to place <laughs> copies of God's word into the communities in which we live, in almost 200 countries around the world. We place Bibles in hotels and motels and caravan parks. You might have seen of our Bibles when you've travelled. We place um, we offer Bibles to school students and to university students. We're this week going to be out in the at the universities in the city, bring copies of the Bible to students as they come in during O week. Um, We place Bibles into places like hospitals and aged care facilities. We offer them uh, to medical and military personnel in a range of other places, in prisons like I mentioned before. We do that with the support of local churches like yours. Our desire is to see people come to faith in Jesus and we've received many testimonies over the years of how a Gideon Bible placed... In a facility or given to somebody has resulted in someone coming to faith in Christ. And I'd like to show you now a testimony of someone who received the Bible locally here at Birdwood High School.
1: I was a year eight student at Birdwood High School in the Adelaide Hills. It was the day when a representative from the Gideons came to visit. I remember that they spoke for a while, I can't remember what they spoke about. And then they invited us to help ourselves to the small uh, red New Testaments, which were stacked in neat piles on a table. The uh, boy in front of me grabbed two and then turned around and said, one for me, one for the fireplace, which uh, at the time I thought was hilarious, but uh, somewhat disrespectful. And I took one, I put it in my school bag, added it to my bookshelf, and didn't think much more about it. After high school, I studied science at university, and I was very much a committed atheist. There was one Christian in my classes and I was more than happy to join in with or even initiate the taunts and the jokes that were made at his expense. Uh, Within my class at uni, I was the heavy metal guy. But contrary to my hardcore image, I really wasn't doing a good job of doing life well. I was struggling socially. And many quite normal social settings filled me with anxiety. And this made it very difficult for me to function. And this became a life-controlling, vicious circle for me. When I really wanted to know what was going on with my life, I did something which no self-respecting atheist should ever do. And I pulled out that little red New Testament, which had been collecting dust for years, and inside the cover there were helpful references to the sorts of verses I needed. So I started reading. But when I spoke to people about the Bible and how compelling I found it to be, many of them, including some well-being professionals strongly encouraged me to leave the Bible alone as they thought that it would make things worse. So one evening I went for a walk down the River Torrens Linear Park to find a bridge from which I could hang myself. But when I was down by the river, I stopped and I looked around and I had this thought that behind everything I could see, there must be a God. And the thing is, no matter how hard I tried to ignore the Bible, Throughout that time, those verses which I read in the little red New Testament kept on popping back into my mind to irritate me. So I thought, well, I really have nothing to lose at this point by reading the Scriptures. So I went back home, ignoring advice, and got back into the Bible. And within a couple of weeks, through reading the Scriptures, I had accepted Christ as Saviour. And uh, This is a little embarrassing to admit, but I didn't actually know that there were other people around who really believed that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. I can remember talking with a pastor at a church, and I was inquiring about it, and it was only when he shared with me his story of how he accepted Christ that I thought, "Oh, right, well, there's two of us. I went on to do three years of study at Bible college. I had the privilege of teaching in a Christian school where I have many opportunities to share. And I'm not sure where I would be today or even if I would be here today if that little red New Testament that was given to me way back in 1993 wasn't at hand when I needed it the most. But I'm sure that it has changed my life. And I would like to say thank you to the Lord and to the Gideons for placing it within my reach. So thank you again for the precious work you do. And may the Lord continue to bless you in your vital ministry.
0: Powerful testimony. Um, yeah, yeah. The, uh, um, whoever the Gideon was that placed it at that Edward uh, High School may not know I'm the impact that that was going to have. Um you might ask, how can you help place copies of Bibles into the hands of people like James, people like Katrina? Um, well, please pray for the Gideon ministry. Please pray that we would continue to have open doors to place scriptures in different parts of the community, particularly in our schools. Please pray f- that we would have the funds uh, needed to purchase the scriptures and the members that we need to continue to, to carry out the work and do that well. Um, some of you may feel called to contribute financially. Um, we can share with you after the, the service how-, how you can do that. We. We also have a Gideon card program um, with a Gideon's card. I'm out on the table there. Similar to this, it comes with a little slip that you can fill in and send in um, with a donation, and then you send your card to a friend or family member saying that you've made a donation on their behalf, and they'll get a little testimony of someone's life that's been impacted by a Gideon's Bible. Um, We also have a... A friends program Got little brochures about the friends program and on the table as well so both churches and individuals can join as friends our friends get um, quarterly information about our ministry um, also you can purchase scriptures at low cost I think it's just over two dollars a little testament that you could use for your own personal witnessing um, that comes with the helps in the front and the plan of salvation in the back that we have in the Gideon's Bibles. Um, And so if you're sharing someone about your faith, um, you can just pass on a scripture to them and they can read more themselves. Um, And lastly, if you're a a professional businessman or or professional or own, own your own business, you may wish to consider becoming a member Um, of the Gideons, if you're you're looking for a way to share your faith with others. um, Plenty of opportunities in the Gideon Ministry to do that, um, and to place Bibles in the community. Um, So thanks so much for your attention this morning. It's been a great privilege to be here this morning. And uh, yeah, please, if you want to find out a little bit more about the Gideon Ministry, come and visit us at the table out, out the front. Thank you.
2: Well, I might invite everyone to start finding your way back to your seats. And we can uh, continue those conversations after the service over tea and coffee and all of those wonderful things, which we don't take for granted after not being able to do that a few years ago. It's wonderful to be able to spend that time together. But before we do get into God's word this morning, let's come to him in prayer. Father, as the banner that the Gideons have put out in the foyer reminds us, you've sent out your word and it does not come back to you empty. Like the rains that fall, you send it with a purpose to grow and to build us, to sustain us and encourage us, sometimes to challenge and redirect us and bring us back to yourself. And we just pray that your word will speak and that by your spirit you will help us to hear your word and then to live your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are big believers in what God's word does and we looked a couple of weeks ago in this series we've been doing about the fundamentals of Christian faith about the Bible being God's word. And then we looked at God being the Trinity in three in one. And today, the next part of our the statement of faith, the, the key confessions of the Christian faith that we're looking at, says this, we believe that Jesus is the Son of God and we believe in his virgin birth. Now I actually preached on the virgin birth just like a few weeks ago, well on the 4th of December I've got in my notes here, so I'm not going to say very much about the virgin birth today because we spent a fair while in that back in December looking on Jesus being born of a virgin and why that matters and if you want to look that up that's on our website and also on our YouTube page and today I want to focus on Jesus being the Son of God and what that means for us. And so there are a number of, number of verses there that point us to this truth, so we do what we should always do and we check that they actually say what uh, the thing says that they say. I, know, I read a Christian book and I see they put a Bible verse in and a lot of the time I'm lazy and I don't check up on them to make sure that that Bible verse says what they say that it says. But we read here in John 1.14... The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. And Romans 8.3 tells us what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh. And in Galatians 4.4, 4, it says, When the set time had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law. And we'll, we'll look into what he was sent to do a little bit later. Matthew 16.16, 16, the great confession uh, that, that Peter makes on behalf of the apostles. Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And then Hebrews uh, chapter 4, verse 14 to 15. Since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Jesus is, as the Bible tells us, the Son of God. But as I want to draw out for us today, there are two different things that the Bible means by that. And both of them have relevance for what it means for us to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You see, when Peter confessed about Jesus, when he declared, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God, he probably didn't mean at that point, We believe that you are God the Son, that you were there before the creation of the world, that you were the one through whom and by whom all things were made, that you are the image of the invisible God. Peter in time would come to believe all of those things. But when he says you are the Son of the living God, at that point in his life, in the ministry of Jesus, he meant something quite different. Because you see, Jesus was not the first person in the Bible to be called the Son of God. We read in the Old Testament in Exodus 4.22, Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son. In Jeremiah 31.9, God says, They will come with weeping. They will pray as I bring them back. I will lead them beside streams of water on a level path where they will not stumble because I am Israel's father. And Ephraim, uh, one of the tribes, but is often used for the whole of Israel. Ephraim is my firstborn son. And Hosea 11.1, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. So we see that the phrase son of God is used of the whole nation of Israel. But it's also used specifically of the king of Israel or of Judah. We read uh, in 1 Chronicles 28.6, Solomon, your son, is the one who will build my house and my courts. For I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. And Psalm 2, now Psalm 2 is a psalm that we know points us to Jesus and what he would do. But Psalm 2 was also used at the coronation of all of the kings of Israel and Judah. And they would sing this song, or perform this song, in that coronation. I will proclaim the Lord's decree, he said to me. You are my son. Today I have become your father. So when Peter declares that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God... He's saying the same thing twice. When he calls him the son of the living God, he's saying, we believe you are the promised king of Israel, that you are the true Israel. And it's interesting, although Israel and and Israel's kings were called the sons of God, there's no sense that they were ever thought to be gods themselves, You know, we compare this to things like Egypt, where the Pharaoh was said to be a son of the gods and was thought to have divine powers in his own right. Israel did not have that idea. Instead, there was this picture of God as their adoptive father, the one who had chosen them. That they were the sons of God only by God's decision and generosity. And yet, we read in in Exodus that he calls them His firstborn son, that is, you know, they're adopted, they're not literally like firstborns in that sense, but the firstborn son was the one who got the greater share of the inheritance. The Israel had a share in his inheritance. So we see this son of God language used throughout the Old Testament. And I think God was quite deliberate in using these phrases. In using this language of sonship when dealing with his people to prepare them for what he was planning to do, to prepare them for his true son that was going to come. Jesus came as a son of God, lowercase son of God. He was an Israelite. He was a Jew. He was a rightful king in the line of David. But he also came as a capital S, Son of God. The one and only Son of God, as John says in John chapter 1. But the reason I pointed out this whole thing about the sons of God in the Old Testament is because it points us to something that is being said, particularly in Jesus' lifetime when people talk about him being the Son of God. And by that they mean the King. In doing that, Jesus is being in some ways compared with all that has come before. There's a, there's a fancy word that's used at Bible colleges called recapitulation, which basically just means that everything Israel did, Jesus now does, except that everywhere where they stuffed it up, he gets it right. The gospel takes pains to show us that he was born into the covenant with Abraham, That he was circumcised on the eighth day. That he went to Egypt and was called back out of Egypt. I imagine most of us, when I read Hosea 11.1, we recognise that verse. Out of Egypt I called my son. And when God called Jesus back out of Egypt, he gave new meaning to those words. Where the Israelites wandered in the wilderness for 40 years... Jesus was tested in the wilderness without food for 40 days. Where Adam and Eve were tested by Satan himself in the garden and failed, Jesus was tested by Satan himself and passed. Where the descendants of Abraham were to be a blessing to all of the nations, Jesus came to bless all the nations where Israel was to be a kingdom of priests representing God to the nations around them, but far too often just became exactly like the nations around them. Jesus becomes the true high priest, the one who represents God to the nations and the one who speaks for us before God, the great high priest who has been tempted in every way yet did not sin. And the atonement that he made, the the forgiveness of our sins that he made possible by dying on the cross in our place, is depicted as being the priest who instead of sacrificing bulls and goats day after day, sacrificed himself once for all time. Jesus' life repeats the key points of Israel and the kings, showing that he was... All of the things that Israel was to be, but more. Because he was the capital S, Son of God. He was with God in the beginning. By him and through him all things were made, and nothing that has been made was made without him. He was with God, and he was God. He was the image of the invisible God. He was and is the Alpha and the Omega. And yes, that is how it's pronounced. <laughs> Don't trust the watch company. But all of that is important because Jesus is the Son of God. No man is able to pay the sins of another. No one can redeem the life of another We read in Psalm 49, verse 7, Or give to God a ransom for them. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough so that they should live on forever and not see decay. It matters that Jesus is the Son of God because only the Son of God, the life of the Son of God, was enough to pay the ransom for a sinner's life. Jesus is of the same nature as God. He is the true Son of God. And confessing that he is the Son of God, the one that all of the the lowercase s, sons of God were pointing to. Confessing that matters because it's a question, it, it speaks to the question of whether we can trust him. If Jesus was just one of those lowercase sons of God, well, we routinely read throughout the Old Testament about how David was the best of the kings and about how all of the kings who came after were compared to him. And yet David was somebody who got an awful lot of things wrong, who did things that we would think unforgivable if they were done to us. If Jesus was just the Son of God in that sense, his teaching would just be some ideas about the world rather than God's ideas about the world, about what is right and what is wrong. Because he is the Son of God, that means that we can trust that everything that he says is right, that all the things that he calls us to live is how we should live. Because he is the Son of God, we can trust in his sacrifice in our place, that it will actually be enough to bring, to ransom the life of another. If he is the true Son of God, we can trust in his intercession, that is, that he is with God right now, and that he is the one who says, even though they've sinned, And they deserve judgment. This one is covered because of me. This one is covered by my blood. Their sins have been paid for already and do not need to be paid for a second time. And the other reason that it's important that he's the true son of God, why it makes a difference to us is because the son of God will bring many sons. To glory. We started in the beginning of this message with Galatians 4. Now I want to read the rest of it. When the time, the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. God sent his son, and because he is his son, Who came to redeem us? We are adopted as sons of God. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. We are made God's sons. And I use that word quite deliberately, not not children. We are men and women in the church, we are sons of God and men and women in the church, we are the bride of Christ. We all have to get used to something that's a way we're not used to thinking about ourselves. But the son, of course, in those days got the inheritance. So when the Bible says that you are sons, it's talking about the incredible honour that God has bestowed upon all of us in a way that would have been understood in those times back then and matters today. We're made sons, but we're more than that. We're brought into his inheritance. God has made you also an heir. Now, it can be difficult to get our heads around the language of inheritance Because the way that we think of it, I get my inheritance when somebody I know dies. My father dies, my mother dies, my my great aunt, who I haven't met, leaves me a million dollars, and that leads to the premise of a a movie. Um, And God's never going to die, so what does it mean that I have his inheritance? What does it mean that Jesus has brought me into his inheritance? I think that the idea that's being brought across there is I know that as a father, I own a lot of stuff in our house, and yet the ownership of the things in our house is fairly fuzzy, isn't it? As soon as you have kids, it's not so much my things anymore, it's our things. And when God invites us to share in his inheritance, he's not saying, when I die, you can have all of this because he will be there forever. But he says, what was my things is now our things. I share my things with you. For those of us who are in Jesus, for everyone who is in Christ, for everyone who believes that he is the Son of God, who believes that his death on the cross is enough, forgive my sins and who has asked him to forgive my sins for all of us who have chosen to follow him we have become sons of God, not natural sons in the same way that Jesus is we're not going to be brought into the Trinity in the same way that Jesus is but we are adopted sons and greatly loved at that our entry into the family of God was won by the Son of God, who loved us so much that He gave His life for us while we were still His enemies. And I've been mindful in preaching this message, this is the second week in a a row where there hasn't really been the kind of application where I go, now go out and read your Bible more or go out and spend more time in prayer, or go out and give some money to a homeless person, or share your food with somebody in need. The application from the last couple of weeks has been less about what to go and do, but why and how we go and do all the things that we do. Jesus being the Son of God who has brought us into God's family, Changes the how of how I pray. Because Jesus is the Son of God and has brought us into that family, that's why he could teach us to pray, our Father who is in heaven. To approach the throne of God with boldness, despite the fact that I am a sinner who has no right to come before God at all. knowing that jesus is the son of god changes the way that i read the bible and i see it as i see him as all that we as humanity were supposed to be but couldn't be and we see how far we fall short but instead of despairing of that fact we see how much he's loved us in that he has chosen us to be his family all the same and to pay the price our sins deserved. So in going out today, we are adopted children of God, each and every one of us. And in some ways, you know, in some ways that adoption is even more special because an adopted parent didn't have to choose you. They chose to. How do we live as adopted children of God? Can you imagine growing up on the streets and this wealthy landowner invites you to come along, be his son, his daughter, live in his house? You can imagine yourself in that situation trying to get everything right and do everything right and make sure I don't stuff all of this up so that I end up out on the street again. But that's not what God wants us to be doing. God doesn't want us living lives full of works so that we won't miss out on heaven, trying to do enough to make up for what God has done for us, worrying that every failure will get us kicked out of the house. But he's invited us into his family because he wants us to be his family. To spend time with him. To love him and be loved by him. To be his children. And live lives that show our love and our gratitude. Not because we think we have to do these things but in thankfulness for the one who has done incredible things for us. You are a child of God. That's what the Bible says. And we've heard that a hundred times. So I'm going to say it again and hopefully it might hear it new and afresh. You are a child of God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. And we can revel in and we can enjoy that. And the Holy Spirit within his people testifies to that. And when I say I'm a child of God, it's not a boast at all about how good I am. But it's a reminder of how good he is. And how great is his love for us. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your incredible love for us. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the Son of God. Both in the sense that you are the true Israel, the true King that your people waited thousands of years for. The one who is all that we could not be. But instead of Rubbing our noses in that failure, you have given to us your righteousness so that we might be called children of God. How great is the love that you have lavished upon us. We thank you, Jesus, that as the Son of God, your words to us are trustworthy and true. That as the Son of God, we can trust that our sins truly are forgiven at the cross because you said that they are and that it is finished. And we can trust in your promise that we will be a part of God's family forever. And so, Lord, may that just colour everything we do this week. When we read our Bibles, when we pray, when we listen to music on the radio, when we spend time with friends at work and at home, when we catch up in our Bible study groups, when a friend of ours is having a hard time, when the children aren't behaving. Just let this wonderful knowledge of who you are and who you have made us to be as a result colour everything that we do with love and gratitude to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.